Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't you turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 5. The 11th chapter of Acts tells us the story of Peter recounting to the leaders and the elders of the church in Jerusalem about his experience preaching to the Gentiles in Cornelius's, down at Cornelius' house. You remember the story in uh, chapter 10, how that uh, Cornelius is uh, a devout man. He's worshiping God. An angel appears to him and tells him to send to a certain place for Peter. So he sends three people to where the angel told him to, to send. And uh, during that time, while they're on their way, Peter is on the housetop waiting for lunch to get ready. And uh, he has a vision. And in this vision, he sees a, a sheet let down from the four corners, and it's got all kinds of beasts, clean and unclean in it. And the Lord speaks to him and says, Rise, Peter, slay and eat. And he says, Not so, Lord. And it happened three times. Well, by the time the, the vision was over, um, the three guys were there, and the Holy Spirit says to Peter, Go with them, doubting nothing. So he does. He goes to Cornelius' house in chapter 10, preaches Jesus to them. They get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost falls on them. And then uh, he's called on the carpet by the elders of the church in Jerusalem for going down to the Gentiles and having something to do with people that they thought were unclean. So Peter is recounting the story to the elders of the church at Jerusalem. And we'll pick up in verse 12 of Acts chapter 11. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house, talking about Cornelius. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Verse 14 is the one I want you to see. Who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. He goes on to say, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now in verse 14 again, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. People are saved by words. Now this word saved is the word sozo. I understand that you say it with, it's S-O-Z-O. You spell it S-O-Z-O in the Greek. And I'm told that you pronounce it with a D sound. Sozo, but that may or may not be true. I don't know that much about the Greek language. But let me read to you the definition of this Greek word sozo. It means to save, that is, to deliver or protect, either literally or figuratively, to heal, to preserve, to save, to do well, to be made whole. The angel told Cornelius, to send for Simon, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Now look with me over to Acts chapter 5. It tells us the story of the um, disciples Peter in uh, prison along with some of the other apostles. We'll pick up in verse 8, verse, uh, well, verse 18. Uh, they laid their hands, talking about the high priests, laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, 
Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Notice that phrase, the words of this life. Now, the word life is the word zoe. It's always used when it's talking about the life of God. It's the word Jesus used in John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life, zoe. It's the same word Jesus used in John 10.10 where he said, The thief cometh not but for to kill, to seal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life, zoe, and that you might have it more abundantly. Notice what the angel said to Peter. He said, Go speak in the temple all the words of this life. People are saved by words. We see that that's not the only thing that words will do because in Acts chapter 10 and in Peter recounting the story in Acts chapter 11, they were also filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time by hearing the same words. So we could say that without fear of contradiction, that people are saved by words. People are filled with the Holy Ghost by words. In fact, the angel said that words are the key to the whole of the life of God the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 10. Paul speaking to this very subject. We'll start reading in verse 8. Now let's back up to verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Here's what is with the righteousness of faith, the righteousness that comes by Jesus. Here's what it says. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Now let me make the point and explain what he's talking about here. He says the righteousness which is of faith, the righteousness which came by faith in Jesus or comes by faith in Jesus, doesn't say that there's something else for God to do from heaven. And it doesn't say that there's something else for Jesus to do in hell. Therefore, it's saying that the righteousness which is of faith, the faith in Jesus that makes us righteous, makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus, says, speaks in this manner that the work is finished. That the work is finished. The righteousness that we receive through Jesus says that the work is finished. Verse 8. But what saith it? He's just explained what the word, what the righteousness which is of faith doesn't say. What does it say then? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess, here's what the word of faith in your heart and your mouth looks like. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved. Here's the word sozo again. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be delivered, made whole, healed, preserved, and protected. For the heart, for with the heart, verse 10, 
Man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, this word salvation is a little bit different. It's the word soteria in, um, in the Greek. And it's, um, um, well, I'm not sure exactly how to explain the difference between sozo and soteria because they really mean pretty much the same thing. Let me define the word soteria. You can see Paul hasn't changed subjects. So he's using these words almost interchangeably. It means to rescue or to be safe physically or morally, to deliver, health, salvation, save, or saving. So you can see that Paul's talking about the same thing even though he uses a different word. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto deliverance, protection, healing, and protection. or Whatever else other words I left out. For the scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sozoed. Now don't let the church, the modern day church, define this word sozo for you. Modern day church says salvation is forgiveness of sins. That's not what the Greek word means that the Holy Ghost inspired Paul to use. It includes forgiveness of sins, but that's not the whole package. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has relieved our report? So then faith, the faith that says that Jesus' work is finished. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now turn back with me to Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Here's the word soteria which has basically the same meaning as the word sozo, but uh, uh, maybe it's a difference in the way the tenses are used. I'm not sure. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, soteria, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let me read to you from the Schofield Bible on this, this scripture. Dr. Schofield is the uh, foremost Baptist scholar of the modern day generation uh, modern generation he's Schofield is dead and been dead for a number of years but uh, he's recognized by the Baptists as the top scholar among Baptist circles he says this on this uh, in his footnotes to verse 16 of Romans chapter 1 the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance safety preservation Healing and soundness. It's pretty good for a Baptist. He goes on to say salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel. Gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes. Such as justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, imputation, forgiveness, sanctification and glorification. Now, the only thing that he left out there of his list is healing. 
You could say that it is included in redemption, but that's not what he preached. But even a man that would not preach healing, and his position was that healing had been done away with, had to, in, had to admit that salvation was an all-inclusive term. Now let me prove to you that healing is a part of this redemptive word that's used, this word soteria. Turn with me over to uh, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Uh, Where do we want to start? I don't want to read a whole lot about this. Verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Now this word loosed in the Greek is the word apulio, and it literally means to free fully, to relieve, release, dismiss, pardon, depart, dismiss, forgive, and so forth. It's the root word for the word redemption. It could very easily and accurately be translated, Woman, thou art redeemed from thine infirmity. Woman, thou art redeemed from thine infirmity. Now, let me ask you a question. How could Jesus say the woman was redeemed when he hadn't shed his blood yet? The answer is very simple, and that is because God's power operates in a different tense than we see from the natural. The Bible says Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. All he's got to do is come to the earth and fulfill it. Thank God he did. Now, if you'll go further reading in the story, you'll find out that the, the uh, religious leaders in the synagogue had a problem with this. They got upset with Jesus for healing her. Well, let's, let's read a little bit further and show that she was healed, I guess. Don't need to leave her there before she's out of this. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Then it tells us about the ruler of the synagogue getting upset. And Jesus answers him and says, in verse 15, he says, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, I want you to notice verse 16, and ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan is bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus gives two reasons why she ought to be free. The two reasons are Satan is the one that bound her. And Jesus never let the the devil's work stand if he had anything to do with it. And the second reason was she was a daughter of Abraham. In other words, he's saying her healing belonged to her because she was a seed of Abraham. Now, does that not fit exactly with what Galatians 3.13 and 14 tell us? Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Verse 14 tells us why. That or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. So that the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles. 
In other words, Jesus said that healing belongs to her because she's the daughter of Abraham. And Galatians 3.13 and 14 tell us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, including the curse of sickness, because healing is a part of the blessing of Abraham. He wants to come on you and me. So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation, we would have to include from Jesus' own actions, as well as what the Holy Ghost described concerning the work of Jesus on the cross, we'd have to say that part of the redemptive work that is included in this all-inclusive word, salvation, is healing as well. Now, I want you to look with me to Acts chapter 14. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. Acts chapter 14, verse 8 and, and uh, verse 7. And there they preached the gospel, talking about at Lystra. And there was a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. And we just read in Romans ten seventeen that so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, if Acts chapter 14 and verse 9 is true, that the man had faith to be healed, then he has to, by definition, have heard Paul preach healing. And I'm not saying that's the only thing he preached. But his message about Jesus... What the Holy Ghost identifies as the gospel that was preached had to include healing. Otherwise, it would be impossible for him to have faith to be healed. For example, if Paul was just preaching the gospel as most of the church world thinks about it today, talking about the forgiveness of sins, that he died for your sins, then the man would have the, the potential or the possibility for having faith to be forgiven of his sins. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But there'd be no source or foundation for him to have faith for healing. The fact that the Bible tells us, and I believe this is on purpose. And I believe the Holy Ghost was purposeful when he said this the way that he did. The fact that he had faith to be healed necessitates the gospel that Paul preached to include healing. Now, do we preach a different gospel today than they did then? Maybe I should ask it this way. Should we preach a different gospel than they did? Remember what we just read in Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, here's an example of him preaching the gospel. Paul's gospel included healing. This is the gospel that Paul said that he didn't receive by man, nor was he taught by any man, but he received by revelation of the Lord himself. I want you to get what that means. Jesus taught Paul that the all-inclusive word salvation included healing as well as forgiveness of sins. There's no other way to interpret that. Now, you can take away from the Bible if you want to, but you're changing the meaning. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, rescue, deliverance, healing, safety, and soundness. For it is, the word is, the word of the finished work of Jesus, the good news of the finished work of Jesus, is the power of God to heal, to deliver, 
to rescue, to make safe, and to make sound. Turn with me over to, um, where do I want to go next? Look with me over to Luke chapter 18. We'll start reading in verse 35. And it came to pass that he was come nigh unto Jericho. A certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David. That's a messianic term. That always got his attention. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, Jesus asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And the blind man said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. Here's the word sozo. Thy faith has saved thee. Well, now we can see what happened to him. There's not a word said from the blind man or from Jesus about forgiveness of sins. So the saving that Jesus is talking about is not an inside thing. We see that the result that the blind man got was receiving his sight. Jesus answered and said, Receive thy sight, thy faith has saved thee, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. So we can see from the results what Jesus means when he said saved. We could translate this or uh, uh, insert a word, substitute the word healing for this. Receive thy sight, thy faith has healed thee. And it means exactly the same thing. But I want you to see, and I think it's to our advantage, not to our disadvantage, that the Holy Ghost uses a word that's inclusive, not specific to healing and or forgiveness of sins. For example, he could have used different language or different words in the language when he was just talking about forgiveness of sins. And he could have used a specific word when he was just talking about physical healing. But he didn't do that. The Holy Ghost used one word that's inclusive. Now the reason for that is because Jesus didn't pay a different price for forgiveness of sins than he paid for healing for the physical body. Jesus performed one work and that was the shedding or the offering of his blood. And the shedding of his blood paid the price not only for sin but also for sickness. And every other work that the devil had wrought in mankind. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Here's a story you're going to be familiar with, I'm sure. The woman with the issue of blood, beginning in verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. 
when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, by the way, the word whole is the word sozo. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be sozoed. Well, we know what she's talking about. She's talking about physical healing. But she uses the same word for saved or salvation. If I touch but may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Verse 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee sozoed. Clearly we see he's talking about physical healing. Thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has sozoed thee. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Finally, turn with me over to Luke chapter 5. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved? Go stand in the temple and speak all the words of this life, Zoe. People are saved by the hearing and the speaking of words. People are healed by the hearing and the speaking of words. People are filled by the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Ghost, by the hearing and speaking of words. Words are the means whereby God's power brings forgiveness of sins and healing for the physical body. Verse 17, Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass on a certain day that as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst of before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now I want you to notice something. Jesus didn't have to ask, What do you guys believe? He didn't have to ask, what do you want? He sees instantly what's going on and why. He sees that the only way they can get this man that's crippled before Jesus is to let, let him down from the roof because of the multitude that's in the house. So he sees their action. And he said, man, your sins are forgiven. you." That sounds a lot like Acts chapter 14 where Paul perceived Paul preached the gospel and then perceived that the man had faith to be healed and said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and walked. We don't have any record that the crippled man said a word, but he acted on the word that he heard, the gospel preached about Jesus that produced faith in his heart to be healed. So words are necessary only to the extent that they express action or agreement or belief 
in the words that are spoken. What I'm trying to say is the man didn't have to say anything. The crippled man in Acts 14 didn't have to say anything to get healed. He just had to act on what he heard. But oftentimes our confession, the words of our mouth, is the first step toward our acting on what we've heard. It's a demonstration of our faith. The Bible says out of the, heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you believe in your heart will come out of your mouth. So we exhibit our faith, demonstrate our faith, release our faith through the words of our mouth. These guys didn't have to say a word either. Their actions show what they believed. Their actions showed what they wanted. So Jesus, when he saw their faith, said unto them, My man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now let me ask you this. Did they come for forgiveness of sins? I'm sure they wouldn't turn it down. But that's not the reason that they're there, is it? Notice it didn't say in verse 17 that the power of the Lord was present to forgive them. It said healing power was there. But now here somebody comes from the, for, and, and takes pretty drastic measure to get their friend before Jesus. And Jesus talks about forgiveness of sins. There's a reason for that, folks. He's going to explain. He said, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, that should have been the point where the big big light bulb went off over their heads. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. And the fact that Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven you, he's identifying who he is. But they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said, what reason ye in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say rise up and walk. He's saying which is harder to say? Now the implication is they would have been okay with Jesus saying be healed, rise, take up your bed and walk. They wouldn't have had a problem with that. It wasn't a Sabbath day so they couldn't have found fault with him. Jesus is in his own house the roof's been taken off of so it doesn't matter to them what happens to the roof but Jesus asked a question he said which is easier to say rise take up your bed and walk or to say your sins are forgiven well from their standpoint they're thinking it's a whole lot harder to say your sins are forgiven than to say rise take up your bed and walk because they believe that others not just God were commissioned with healing power. They knew of prophets of the Old Testament that had healed. But you start talking about the forgiveness of sins, that's God's and God's alone. But Jesus is asking a question from his perspective, and that is, which is easier to say? Now, which one was Jesus sent to the earth to do? Forgive sins or heal the sick? Both. So for him, it's the same difference. Because as I said before, the scripture says Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. All Jesus has to do is fulfill the work on the cross, shed his blood one time, and that pays the price for sin, sickness, and poverty. 
So for him, it's the same difference. His blood that still is in his body at that time is being offered as a sacrifice for all of the work of sin and sickness and disease. So Jesus said, which is harder to say? Your sins be forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, Jesus is going to answer the question. Verse 24, he says, but that you may know. Everybody say no. But that you may know. They're supposed to know something by what he does. They're supposed to learn something by what he does. They're supposed to see the truth of something by what he does. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up your couch and go into your house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus said, I'm going to prove to you that I have power to forgive sins. What was the proof of his power to forgive sins? The healing power of God on display. Why? Do you remember John chapter 9? Why don't you turn over there? I was just going to quote it, but it might be good for us to look at it. Look at John chapter 9. I'm all over the board tonight. Verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was born blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Notice what they know. They know that sickness is the result of sin. What they don't know is whose sin caused it. But they know sin caused it. So their question is very simple. Whose sin caused this man to be born blind? Was it the man himself? Which would imply he had to sin in the womb. Or was it his parents that did something wrong along the way that caused their son to be born blind? Jesus answers the question. He said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, you know, I hope that the, the original transcript, the original text of the New Testament was in Greek. And the Greek language had no punctuation nor capitalization. Actually, it was what we would consider to be all caps, but without punctuation. It wasn't written in chapter and verse translators divided into chapter and verse for reference sake and they also added the punctuation now any translation every translation is dependent on two things is dependent on the translator's knowledge of the language that they're translating from and their understanding of God because there are different ways that you could paraphrase or punctuate I should say these verses they come up with different meanings. For example, the King James says that Jesus answered, Neither is this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Then they put a period. It sounds like the way they translated it, 
that Jesus is saying, the reason this man was born blind wasn't his fault, wasn't his parents' fault. It was so that I could have somebody to heal when I came walking down the road at this point in time in my ministry. God needed a blind man to heal, so he made him blind. But let me suggest a different punctuation. One that's consistent with the rest of the Bible. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. That was their question. Who sinned? The man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. Then he brings out another thought. He said, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. Now let me prove it to you from what we know of the scripture. Jesus said that he always did the will of his father, right? So if God made him sick and Jesus healed him, he's working contrary to the will of God. There's no two ways about that, folks. If God made him sick or blind, then it's because God wanted him to be blind. Well, God never changes. If God ever wanted this man to be blind, then God always wanted this man to be blind. So if Jesus heals him of his blindness and God wants him to be blind, that Jesus is working in cross purposes with his father. That has to be true, does it not? Well, we see the works of Jesus is that he heals the man, removes the blindness from his flesh. What does that mean? Well, if he's working in concert with God, doing the will of God, then it means that God never wanted the man to be healed, to be sick to begin with, to be blind in the first place. So he says, here's his answer, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. Then he talks about the works of God. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There's a time coming when I'm not going to be able to do this. He's talking about when he went to the cross. He's not talking about after the cross. He's talking about the period of time when the Spirit of God left him and he died spiritually. He offered his life as a sacrifice. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind men with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Now, the reason that we looked at this story is because of the scripture that we were looking at over in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up your bed and walk. Arise, take up your bed and walk. In other words, he's proving by the display of his healing power that the power of sin is broken when the healing power of God is on display. They knew. Even the disciples knew. If the disciples knew. The Pharisees certainly knew. That sickness is the result of sin. The disciples question is. Whose sin was it? Well it was neither the parents. Nor the son. Nor the, son the man himself. Well then whose sin caused it? Adam's. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore by one man, one man's sin, death entered the world, sin entered the world, and death by sin. 
Sickness is the result of death which entered the world by sin. So it's Adam's sin that brought sickness upon mankind. So when the disciples asked and said, they're right in their understanding that sin caused sickness, but they think it's a personal issue. Jesus said, not so. But I was sent to do the work of God to undo the power and the bondage that that sin brought upon mankind through sickness. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. Do you understand what that means, folks? That means the understanding that we, get, that we gain through the truth of the word unlocks and unleashes the heating power of God to affect our bodies. The scripture in uh, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse, uh, well, it's Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 12, I believe it is. Well, it's in Proverbs somewhere. I'm not sure. I've got the references mixed up, but it says this. It says, I'm going to read it instead of quote it. I'm about to mess it up. Let me see if I can find it real quick. It's Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is that which speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. In other words, it's saying this. It's saying... Some of the words that you speak can damage your body just like if you took a sword to it. But a wise man will speak only healing and healthful words. What's it telling us? It's telling us your healing is in your mouth. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved? Rescued, delivered, healed, made safe and made whole. Your healing is in your mouth. Isn't that exactly what Paul said? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The word of what Jesus has accomplished because it, the word of God, is the power of God unto salvation, unto healing. Your healing is in your mouth. Your healing is not in somebody else's anointing. Your healing is in your mouth. Just like words spoken bring salvation, forgiveness of sins. The spoken word brings healing and health to your body. Say this after me. Through the work of Jesus, I was delivered from sickness and disease. I'm not going to be delivered from sickness and disease. But through the work of the cross, Jesus took sickness from the midst of me. I believe God's word. No matter what I look like, no matter what I feel, and I believe that the spoken word, God's word spoken from my lips, unlocks the healing power of God in my body. I declare that I am healed and restored to divine health by the power of God's word. Amen. Do you realize if the Bible's true, thank God it is. But if the Bible's true, if you said that and held fast to that confession, it would be impossible for Satan to cause sickness and disease to remain on your flesh. 
Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never fail. Never fail, never fail, never fail, never fail, never fail, never, never, never fail. The devil doesn't have the power to keep the word of God from coming to pass in your flesh. No wonder the Bible says, hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. For he is faithful who promised. Amen? Well, let's all stand. Thank God for his word. Let's lift our hands and thank God because his word is true. Father, no matter what it looks like for us, no matter what we feel like, no matter what the doctor has said, we thank you that the word of God is truth. We thank you that the word of God, because it is true, changes the circumstances in our flesh. We declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. It's so good to be healed. It's so good to be healed. We thank you for restoring our health, restoring the joy of our salvation, restoring our youth, Father, even as your word says, as our days are, so shall our strength be. Thank you, Lord, that the word of God is working in us, restoring our youth, satisfying our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Thank you, Father, we'll have the strength in our old age even as it was when we were young, according to your word. Thank you, Father, that the word of God is true and it's changing the situation in our bodies. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The Old Testament promise was if we walked in his statutes and kept his commandments, he would take sickness away from the midst of them. That's not the promise for us. By the work on the cross, he has taken sickness from the midst of us. Nothing left to be done. It's already done. We need to speak in line with what the Bible says has already been accomplished. The righteousness which is of faith doesn't say there's something left to be done. It says the work is finished. Amen? Amen. That's what it means when the Bible says faith calls things that be not as though they were it says it's already done even though it doesn't look like it's done in our bodies it says it's already done well based on what based on the word of God yeah but Pastor Mike I just don't feel right saying that something's done when it doesn't look like it well then say this according to the word of God the work is done you can say that can't you that's true no matter how you feel according to the word of God Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes I was healed. Anybody can say that. That'll work every time. Thank God for the words of this life. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.